Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia. Well, welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you're listening to 1360 KPXQ Faith Talk Radio. Thank you for spending your uh, afternoon with me. So I think you're going to like this show. It kind of dovetails off the show we did last week when we talked about the seven rules of life and how those seven rules directly affect our relationships. And that when we have our internal world in order, the external world really functions much better. And we do much better with other people. And we handle our relationships better because we handle people better. Our expectations are more realistic. uh, We're more forgiving. We're less controlling, all kinds of things. So if you missed that show, make sure that you go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com and you can tune into it and you can listen to it in its entirety on uh, right there on the computer. So today we are talking about seven solutions that can save a relationship. And I want to start out with just a couple of thoughts that I want you to be to be thinking about. Um because this whole the marriage thing or or you know if you are in a committed relationship, a seriously committed relationship, you have children, you know it's it's blessed in the beginning, but it does have some negativity that comes with, you know, as we as we move forward in that relationship, the longer that we are in relationship with people. So marriage entails two people facing constant frustration from each other, also from the world. And it would be dishonest to pretend otherwise. And and I tell couples frequently that the world is constantly trying to pull couples apart. Every time you walk out that door, every time you turn on the television, you know, whatever goes on, it wants to pull apart that union. And so it's also dishonest to pretend that any one person has a quick fix for that quandary, especially since each marriage is a very, you know, intimate relationship and it's very, very unique and it looks different. Now, Certainly we have commonalities and similarities, and that's kind of what we're going to address today. So you're going to want to take these common concepts and then make them unique to your situation and your relationship. And so what we want to do is we want to ask ourselves some illuminating questions and see what kind of answers you may come come with. And and if you don't have answers today or while you're hearing this, then that's important to be saying to God, you know, this question is thought-provoking, and I don't know how to answer it. So let's start with the positive, because I like to encourage positivity, you know, especially when it's self-examination. That's a hard thing to do. So I want you to ask yourself, what are the things I love about my relationship that I can value and I can nurture? And this is a really important stance to take when you are interacting with any person, but especially with the, your most intimate relationship that you want to be constantly focusing on the what is versus what is not. And we don't want to get into the shoulda, woulda, coulda, if only then situation. 
well, if they would have done this, if they, they could have done this, they should have done this, then we would be here, or I would feel happy. And so it's important that you say, what are things that I love about my relationship? And what are those things that I can value and therefore nurture? And we want, we want to start every day with that kind of a mindset because we're always going to find negatives. And, and if you've listened to any of the shows I've done in the past, you know our brains are hardwired for negativity. And so it's imperative that you say to yourself, I'm going to focus at least on one thing. And if the only one thing I can find is that, the, that my spouse has a great smile, then I'm going to really think on that and nurture that. Because the enemy of your soul wants to steal, kill, and destroy whatever is good. And so the habit that we get into is to be negative. And the enemy of our soul increases that propensity for negativity. So it's imperative that we say, what do I love about my relationship? What do I like about my relationship? What are some good things about my relationship? And how can I value that more and nurture those things more? Do I need to talk about them? Do I need to to write a note to my spouse and tell them I noticed that? Do I need to brag to other people about that? Do I need to just let myself think about it and ruminate until I get some good feelings inside of me, some positive feelings? So number two, when I think about the best relationships I've seen, what am I actually focusing on? And this is part of just understanding the uniqueness of you. Everybody has different things that that really work for them that they really like. So when you have seen other, other relationships that you liked or that you admired, what were the qualities in that relationship that you admired? What did you like about those people? Did they laugh together? Were they affectionate with one another? Um, were they supportive or, or positive toward each other in front of people? Were they polite to one another? Did they seem to enjoy each other? Were they attracted to one another? What are the things that you like that really resonated with you? Because those are probably some of the things that you're going to want to nurture in your present relationship. So then I want to take it a little bit more to the other side. And we're going to look at it a little bit more from the negative side. And that is, what is my role in perpetuating negativity in my relationship? What do I do that is creating stress or strain or problems or dysfunction? What am I doing or not doing? What should I be doing more of? What should I be doing less of? And we really want to take time to really examine what do I bring to the table? What is my part in this? Because regardless of how obvious someone's dysfunction is, we're with them and we chose them and we are helpful in it. And we are a part of it. Unless we're God, we're not doing the relationship perfectly. And, and it, it is a great um, tendency and habit for us as humans to look at all the things the other person is doing and say, well, if you weren't doing that, then I wouldn't be like, a, like the way that I am. If you would just stop doing that, then I would stop doing this. And we have to remind ourselves, first of all, no one's, no one's a victim here. I mean, obviously, unless we have actual domestic violence, and I'm not talking about those types of relationships today. I'm talking about the average general relationship the majority of us are in. And that it's easy for me to blame. It's easy for me to say, well, you do this, and therefore that's why I do that. And I know that when I stand before God and talk about my marriage, God is not going to allow me to say, well, my husband 
if he would just not have done blah, 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 then I would be a better person, and I wouldn't have done those things. I wouldn't have sinned in that way. Because he's going to be talking to me about me, and I have to answer for me. I have to answer for who I am and what I chose to do and whether or not I even practice self-control and forgiveness. So what's my role in perpetuating negativity in my relationship? How do I talk? Is it my tone of voice? Is it my body language? Do I nag? Do I smirk? Do I use sarcasm? What am I doing that makes for a negative tone or atmosphere? So what ought I change in myself? What might I need to do, period, regardless of what my spouse is doing? What is God working on with me? And the relationships that work the best are the relationships of two people, each very committed to working on being the best version of themselves. If I am working hard on being the best version of me and the majority of my focus is on what I need to change, what I know that God is working on with me, the areas that I need to grow in, I'm going to have a much different perspective on my spouse or my partner. Much different perspective. And I'm going to directly affect that relationship positively, even if my spouse doesn't ever change. That's kind of how God feels with us, right? That he continues to be perfect, hoping that by being in relationship with him, we will also change. But he doesn't change because we are not where we need to be. He continues to be who he is. So let's look at number five. Where am I setting unrealistic expectations? Either of my spouse or myself. But we can have very unrealistic expectations on humans. And a lot of that has to do with pain. The more painful the relationship is, many times the more unrealistic we become. Because we can't bear it. And the more unrealistic we become, the more disappointed we are. And so I frequently, when I'm working with couples on on marriage, on, on committed relationships, I say to them, let's differentiate between what is illegal, immoral, unethical, dangerous. I'm going to say that one more time. Illegal, immoral, unethical, dangerous. And what is irritating, annoying, frustrating, disgusting, yucky, silly, stupid, whatever that is. See, that's a completely different way of looking at it. Because once I take irritating, annoying, and frustrating, and I act as if those things are somehow illegal, immoral, unethical, and dangerous, you can see the level of intensity rising in the relationship. So if my spouse doesn't um, like to empty the dishwasher, and he has been doing that for 10 years, and it is now under my skin, and it is I now feel very negative toward it. I'm taking it very personally, and I'm, I'm polarizing the relationship over, uh, over these behaviors. I am now actually looking at that behavior as if it's a moral issue. It may make or break our relationship. And I may attach all kinds of things, like, well, now I see him as lazy and selfish. And I start to, to project all kinds of, uh, and, and character assassinate him. So it's important that when we're looking at this, what am I, am I setting unrealistic expectations on this person? Am I expecting them to be perfect so that I'm happy? Or am I really allowing them to grow and to change and for God to do his work in them? 
and let them really be in charge of working on their life. And if they don't want to work on their life, what am I going to do about that? How am I going to handle that? Because if I choose to stay married, then I, then I am saying to God, I choose to stay married, so I still need to be a really good spouse, even if they don't ever change. And I need to do it with a good attitude. Because I'm going to answer to God for any judgments that I make and the way that I treat someone, even if I think they deserve that treatment. So it's imperative that I ask myself these questions and that we really look in our heart and see where we're at. So we're going to talk more about this in the next segment. So glad you joined me today. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next uh, segment as we talk about seven solutions that can save your relationship. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and I'm very glad that you joined me this afternoon. We are talking about seven solutions that can save a relationship. And last week, we talked about the seven rules for life, and that was really dealing with the internal world so that we can then deal with the external world, so that the things that we are trying to change externally actually are up for change versus trying to change the external world so that somehow I'm happy in my internal world. And the more I get my internal world in order, the better I manage the external world in all its negativity and mistake-making and struggles and strains of all the humans that are managing their internal worlds. So I want you to make sure, I want to make sure that you are able to listen to that show in its entirety. That really is the precursor to this one. And so In the last segment, we left off on really asking ourselves five questions. And when we are looking at our most significant relationship, our most intimate relationship, what what we might want to ask ourselves. And the first one was, what are the things I love about my relationship that I can value and nurture? So we want to always start out every relationship thinking about the positives and being committed to staying positive. Because positivity directly affects our relationships. Imagine if God were negative toward us all the time. We'd probably all be dead. So thankfully, he has positive thoughts toward us. He tells us he has good thoughts toward us. And I'm sure that he practices that on an ongoing basis. And so we want to really think about those things that we can value and nurture. Secondly, when I think about the best relationships I've seen, what am I actually focusing on? So I want you to think about when I look at really positive relationships or relationships that I admire, what are the things about it that I like? What works for me? Is it the way they treat one another? Are they happy together? Are they attracted to each other? Do they respect each other? Are they polite to one? Do they laugh? Whatever it is. Because much of that is what you may be wanting to either nurture in your current relationship or bring into your relationship. And so then we looked at three more questions that are kind of more on the negative, and that is, what's my role in perpetuating negativity in my relationship? And what ought I change in myself? And where am I setting unrealistic expectations? And one of the things I didn't get to talk about in the last segment when it comes to unrealistic expectations, I want you to consider educating yourself on gender differences and the differences, the hardwiring between men and women. 
Because a lot of what I find when I'm working on relationships with people is that some of the unrealistic expectations they have has to do with the fact that a man should be different than what a man is and a woman should be different than what a woman is. And that some of the, the issues frequently that clear up very quickly is when we really begin to understand gender and gender differences. And we're not angry about the gender differences anymore and we don't take them personally and, and we don't see them as somebody doing it to us and doing something on purpose to bug us. That we recognize, wow, this is how God made humans. And this is how God made a man. This is the hardwiring of a woman. Those things won't be changing. Now, that doesn't give any of us license to indulge in our gender. But it's imperative that, that we accept the way God has made that opposite sex. And, and we encourage positively who that person is and loving that opposite sex. And so we have to give ourselves a little bit of a break. Heterosexual relationships are, are the most complicated relationships on the planet. And they require the most effort and they require the most patience, forgiveness, um, acceptance. Because we are two very different creatures in our hardwiring. So as we look at that, we want to make sure that we are really recognizing if I have unrealistic expectations. And sometimes what I find with couples is that they have unrealistic expectations over here, but maybe they are lowering the standards in some other areas. So sometimes we get things a little bit upside down. So as we look at what can really save a relationship, what can we do to continue to support our relationship? And I love the verse, Philippians 1.9. This is, um, and, and this says, so this is my prayer that your love will flourish, that you will not only love much, but well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life Jesus would be proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all getting everyone involved in the glory and the praise of God. And I think this is important that we look at this verse. This is the message version. And it says, this is the prayer that's being prayed for us, that our love will flourish, and you'll not only love much, but love well. And you learn to love appropriately. So that's what we were talking about when we were saying those five ways that we were to look at relationships. And the things that we're going to talk about later in this show is how to love appropriately, realistically, deeply, honestly. And, and the, the, the author here says you need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not just sentimental gush. So we don't want our, our most significant relationship just to be all about the sentimentality and those wonderful like feelings that we had when we first started dating. Um, I, it, it's wonderful to feel that, but it isn't realistic to continue it. We can still have sentimentality, and there's some beautiful moments, very sentimental moments. But if we don't let the past be the past, it steals from our present and, and, it, and it then changes our future. So we don't ever want to live in the past. We want to say, well, if there's something in the past that was working, well, why aren't we continuing to do that? 
And so if there are things in the past that were simply because that was the time that that was appropriate, but it isn't appropriate for this time, then we have to accept that. And so when the author says you need to use your head and test your feelings, it's imperative that we, that we really look at this, and I talk to clients about this a lot, that our feelings are, are just our feelings, and they change. And so we don't believe everything we feel, and we don't give in to everything we feel, and we don't follow everything we feel. I mean, I know that you've experienced this. You've had a terrible argument with your significant other. Terrible, and you think this is going to end. The relationship is ending, and I can't stand it anymore, and I don't want anything to do with this person. And then as you start to talk about it, and you hear the right words, and you hear the right sincerity, and there seems to be some kind of clarity, and you start to connect again, it's amazing how quickly our hearts heal and the resiliency of the human heart. Now, I'm not talking about enduring, ongoing, long-term issues. But it's amazing when we get the right word, the right time, with sincerity and honesty and clarity, that our hearts quickly can heal. So we want to make sure that we are testing our feelings and that we are loving intelligently, which means that we use the facts. So sometimes we can embellish the facts. Sometimes we minimize the facts. Sometimes we're afraid of the facts. But God is never afraid of the facts, and he doesn't change the facts in order to love us well. He loves us in spite of the facts and because of the facts. So we are coming up to um, the half-hour break. We have a half-hour more of this show, and I want to encourage you to join me in the next segment. And if you can't, please visit my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. And my name is spelled a little differently. It's spelled C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Certainly uh, like my Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt, Inc. That's I-N-C for Incorporated. And you can see lots of inspirational and motivational things. And so join me in the next segment as we talk about seven solutions that save a relationship. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. And we are talking about the seven solutions that can save a relationship. And we just got done in the last segment talking about Philippians 1.9. And I'm going to read it one more time because this kind of sets up this whole next half hour. And this says, um, this is the message version. And it says, this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but love well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life Jesus would be proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. We see all kinds of solutions to saving relationships right in that verse. And a lot of it has to do with loving appropriately, loving much, loving well, loving appropriately, using our head and testing our feelings and not believing every feeling that we have and not believing every thought we have so that we love sincerely and intelligently. And we, and we live a life that's circumspect. We are willing to look at ourselves and find out what we need to change. And we live a life that's exemplary, that God can be proud of, that our spouse and, and our family can be proud of, that our friends can be proud of. And we live a life that Jesus would be proud of, 
that is bountiful in the fruits of our soul. And it makes Jesus Christ attractive to all. The more that I'm living that way, wouldn't that solve a lot of my relational problems? And so, you know, it is, it's rare that a couple doesn't run into a few bumps in the road. Every couple I know, including myself, that's just humans. And that's one of the reasons God wants people in relationship. I tell people frequently, you know, it's, I say, hey, you're, you're acting like a walking piece of Velcro. I need to smooth you down. You're snagging on everything. And, and in our culture, we have a tendency to kind of snag on everything. Everything bothers us. Everything gets under our skin. Everything affects us. And so we get those bumps in the road. And, um, and we get some relationship problems. And sometimes we don't, we don't know how to get past them. And so even though every relationship has its ups and downs, what we know about successful couples is that they learn to manage the bumps and they keep their love life going. And it's important to know how to tackle those problems and how to work through the complex issues of everyday life. And some, you know, some of us do it by self-help books and articles, attending seminars, going to counseling, observing other successful uh, uh, couples. Sometimes it's just simply trial and error. And so this love that we have, we have to understand that life is going to intervene. And I opened up this show with saying the world is constantly trying to pull couples apart. The, that life intervenes. And how we feel about ourselves, our health, our jobs, our stresses, what the world is telling us we should be, what the world is, is bombarding us with, what media is doing. The enemy of our soul comes in. It is constantly trying to pull people apart. And so the stress can accumulate. And what we know is that if we are not practicing ongoing forgiveness, and that I just want you to know is a given, that's just a given that we have to be doing, that we keep a short list. But one of the keys to, to relationship problems that we all know is communication. Now, I said in the last segment, when it comes to unrealistic expectations, I want you to really educate yourself on gender differences. Because the way that we communicate with men versus the way we communicate with women is significant. And if I don't know how to speak that language, I'm going to have very complicated communication issues. And, and it doesn't mean I'm not going to have issues with my spouse. But the better I know how to communicate in the way that he understands and in a way that does not disrespect him or insult him, our ability to resolve is going to be much better. And the same goes for him. The better he understands how his communication affects me and the way he communicates affects me, the better he is going to be able to talk with me and resolve things sooner with a lot less heartache. So what are some keys to good communication that the Bible gives us? And what, you know, what we say and how we listen to others is important to God. He warns us that death and life are in the power of the tongue and that we must give account for every idle word we speak. And that is Proverbs eighteen twenty one and Matthew twelve thirty six. And so there's a summary of good communication in interpersonal relations that James gives us. And I'm going to start this next uh, segment with that. It's James uh, chapter 1, and it starts in verse 19. And, and it talks about that we are to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And so we're going to start with that one. When you come back. And so I want you to join me in this last segment. It's only 14 minutes long. We only have 14 more minutes to go. 
So make sure that you go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com to listen to the rest of the show. And uh, certainly visit my Facebook at Cynthia Hyatt, Inc. And if you are in need of a speaker, please visit my website and talk to us about that. And we'll see what we can set up for your organization. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. This is 1360 KPXQ Faith Talk Radio, and I'm so glad that you're joining me today. And we are talking about solutions to save relationships. And we talked all about the ways that we look at relationship, some of the things that we may need to change. And I'm going to give some very specific solutions. And we left off in that last segment with James um, chapter 1, verse 19. And it says, So then, my beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And many of the communication pitfalls that wreck relationships really come from violating these three keys. And we need to be slow to listen, but we need to be quick to speak our minds. And in the resulting confusion and selfishness, we're very quick to get our feelings hurt and get angry. So we should be, you know, quick to listen and slow to speak, but we are usually slow to listen and quick to speak. And so we kind of want to focus on these first two points that James made, and that is being swift to hear and slow to speak. So swift to hear, because why do we want to do this? Well, what happens if we are quick to speak instead of quick to hear? Well, we get Proverbs 18, verse 13. It says, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. And I'm sure you can relate, and I can relate. I have done this before. I've assumed what someone was going to say before they said it, and I, I hijacked the, the communication process, and then they had to say, can I say my point? And it was very different than what I, where I was going, and that is shameful. It's embarrassing, and I had to apologize and say, okay, you're right. I'm sorry. I assumed. I jumped, I jumped the gun. So we really want to practice slowing down. When we get into really difficult situations, difficult interactions, the best thing you could do for yourself is slow things down. Because once the adrenaline starts going, once we get into the fight, flight, or freeze, the sympathetic nervous system starts firing. We don't think the same way. We think in a more survivalistic manner. So it's natural that we, we think we know what people want or need before they finish. And we assume that we have to say, well, what we have to say is what the other person should really be interested in hearing. Now, listening skills are rarely taught and they're generally neglected. So one of the things that I encourage people when it comes to listening, and this really helps me, I do this all day, every day in my practice. When someone says something, the first thing I do is take a breath. I breathe in first before I speak. And that helps me really consider what I'm going to say. And it helps to slow the conversation down. And it helps me not to talk on top of people. Because you've heard me enough on this show, you know I can speak very quickly. And I have to be very careful. And so we need to slow things down. Now, you've spent years learning how to read and write. But who has taught you how to really listen? And how to speak and when to speak? So a mindset has a lot to do with how we avoid truly understanding another person. See, if my mindset is set on explaining myself before I let you explain yourself, 
then I'm going to miss what the other person really needs. And so one of the the statements that that we remind ourselves is we say, I'm going to first seek to understand before I am understood. And that takes a very adult position. And that is very hard to do. Because when I get my feelings hurt, when I get upset, when I need answers, when I want to resolve something so that I feel better immediately, I want the person to understand me first. And I have to relax my body, position myself as a grown-up, and say, I'm going to do a lot better, and it's going to go a lot faster, and we're going to get this fixed a lot sooner if I really understand what's going on with that other person first. And that will cut down on a whole bunch of things that I thought I might need to say. And they are going to be that much more relaxed with me as well. So what are some tips for improving our listening? Well, one, I want you to smile as best as you can. I don't want you to do a fake smile. But as best as you can to relax and look at the other person in the eye. I don't want you to stare them down. So if you can't, I want you to look away to the right or to the left, not too far up, but just look to the side and say, I really want to hear what you have to say and glance back at them. If you can't have a positive or at least a neutral look on your face, then I want you to ask questions to show you're interested and to clarify things you're not sure of. So you say to them, okay, this is what I heard you say. Is that what you mean? This is what it sounds like to me. Did I hear that right? And if they want to change it, let them. And don't accuse them of somehow being manipulative, like, you know, they're being dishonest. Because many times we use words and when we hear them back toward us, back at us, it's really not what we actually meant. And so people really, really appreciate being able to clarify. I want you to look for common ground. And I want you to try to block out distractions. So if the TV's on, turn off the TV. If the phone is going, put the phone away. And really say, I need to give you my time. And so try not to focus rehearsing on what you want to say while you're halfway listening to what they're saying. You really want to make sure that you take the time. And what I say to people is, we have time. We, we have this tendency to feel like we have no time. And so I say, if you really have no time, then arrange a time to make the time. If you, can't, if you only have five minutes because you're going to work, then say, let's table this. We're adults. We can suspend this. Let's make sure that we take time. So let's look at the next thing. What should we say? Well, Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, speak on those things. So I'm very careful about what I say. I say to myself, does it really need to be said? Or do I just need to say this to myself? Is this really going to be productive if I say this? And so how about this next, this next issue here? We have problem solving. I want to talk about some problem solving strategies. So I want you to make an actual appointment with each other. Because a lot of times when you're trying to just do it as you are passing, it's going to get more complicated. So if you, if you know that there's something that requires time, that you say, let's really make time to do this. And then you use the time productively up until that point. Like let's say if you're leaving for the office, 
and you know you need to talk about it, you say, you know what, tonight after we eat or right when I come home, whatever works, we're going to address this. And then you use that day productively. And that means you use that day to think good thoughts about the person, to pray for clarity, to pray that God heals your heart quickly, to practice forgiveness. And so if you can't communicate without raising your voice, sometimes going to a spot like a library helps. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but it does work. Going to a park, a restaurant, where it forces you to practice self-control. I want you to set up some rules. Try not to interpret until your partner is completely done speaking. And I want you to be really on top of your own body language and show that you're listening. So I don't want you to doodle or look out or pick at your nails or, you know, I want you to really look at the person, nod if that's necessary to let them know you're there and to let them know that you are really interested and you are thinking, really control your body language. Don't roll your eyes, huff and puff, these types of things. Deep sighs really distracts the person from talking. So we really need to control our bodies. So let's talk about the next relationship issue. And that would be sex. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, the Message Bible says, Certainly, but only within a certain context, it's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balance and fulfilling sexual life in the world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband, Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a a decision to serve another, whether in bed or out. And that's very important that we recognize that what happens in our relationship on an ongoing basis directly affects our sex life. And that we are to be very gentle and very nurturing and very kind and very accepting when it comes to our sex life. Because this is the most sensitive place of a person. Our sexuality is at the core of our being. And if we don't manage that well and understand the insecurity that the world has created for all of us about our own sexuality, our own bodies, our own performance, how we view ourselves, that we need to be very careful when we are talking with one another about this and very accepting and very kind. One of the next relationship problems we have, money. Now, many money problems might start before the wedding and before those vows are exchanged. But some of the problem solving that we can do when it comes to money, you can intervene on your relationship at any time when it comes to money. And one of the most important things that you do is you be honest and not judgmental. You be honest about the current financial situation. And if things have gone south, continuing to live the same way is unrealistic. And that you both be grown-ups. And you say, you know what? If we have financial problems, that doesn't make us bad people. If we, Even if we've been irresponsible, even if we not thought this through, even if we expected the other person to control the finances, we need to do this together as a couple and see it simply as a problem to be solved, not a character issue. Now, if there are character issues, then we obviously need to be getting some professional help. But we need to do that with grace as well. So we don't approach the subject in the heat of the battle. We set aside a time that's convenient and non-threatening. And if that means sitting with a third party, a pastor, 
a therapist, um, a, a financial advisor, an accountant, whoever can just help to manage things so that we, we really focus more on the facts and not character assassination. So we acknowledge that maybe one partner is more a saver and one is a spender, and we understand there are benefits to both, and we agree to learn from each other and those tendencies. We don't hide income. We don't hide debt. So we bring financial documents, including credit reports, pay stubs, and we don't blame And lastly, struggles over home chores. This has a lot to do with our home life and how this affects our home life. And so most partners work outside the home and often have more than one job. So it's important to fairly divide the labor at home. And it's important, again, that we all show up as grownups, that we be organized and clear about what really needs to be done. And we we be realistic about preferences and we don't moralize a preference or an opinion. And if one has a preference for order and the other one is a little more flexible, we agree to find a halfway in the middle point. And if that means that a couple of the rooms in the house are super, super in order and other parts of the house we allow to not be in order, we do that. Whatever compromise needs to occur. And we need to be open to solutions and open to creative problem solving. And lastly, we want to make sure the relationship is a priority. And so we constantly have to reaffirm the priority. And when we set priorities, that means we take time. That means we practice deference. has a lot to do with the language that we use. And it has a lot to do with the tone of voice and our body language and how accepting and forgiving we are in that relationship. So we think about how God is with us. So I'm so glad that you joined me today. And I hope that this has been helpful for you. I want to make sure that you can hear the entire thing on the website. And um, that is at CynthiaHyatt.com. Make sure you um, certainly log in there. You can also find it on KPXQ 1360, their website. And that will lead you to the, to the show as well. Please look at my Facebook at Cynthia Hyatt, Inc. That's INC for Incorporated. Thank you, Jeremy, always, my wonderful producer, for making this show happen for me and his encouragement always. And I hope you have a blessed week. God bless you. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during this show are given as a way to teach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate or spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay at any time at FaithTalk1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ.